you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to episode seven of the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my good friend, Matt Hartwell, as always. Matt, what's up, man? I'm doing great, Mike. 10-0 for the first time since 2006. Uh, the first time since I personally was 16 uh, years old. So it's just been uh, incredible. an incredible ride. I know a lot of people have a lot to say about Michigan's style of play during it, but just fine to be sitting here at 10-0, buddy. Yeah, and I, you know, I think so. Two thousand six, the last time we were ten and zero, that has to be the number one versus number two Michigan Ohio State game where Michigan went on the road, lost by three in Columbus, and back then there was no playoff, so we were on the outside looking in, sitting at number three as Florida Urban Meyer at Florida of all people took on Ohio State in the national championship game. So this this might be one of those full circle moments where okay we're back at 10 and 0 we might have a number one versus number two ohio state i mean probably with georgia's positioning it'll probably be number two versus number three is is what it's looking like um but yeah man 10 and 0 uh michigan beats nebraska 34 to 3 um the scoreboard looks very dominant and the game was very dominant but michigan uh has an identity, don't we? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Like when you watch a Michigan game, it's if I'm being honest, it's not the most exciting uh, style of football out there. You know, the way that football is played nowadays, um, there are a lot of more exciting games on during the Michigan game. But as a Michigan fan who's seen Denard Robinson and Rich Rodriguez and really exciting teams go five and seven um i think i would prefer a 10 and 0 somewhat boring win wouldn't you agree absolutely i'll take blake core impression for over 130 yards consistently day in and day out all day yeah and so let's talk about the game a little bit let's get some kind of initial reactions and recap we're not going to do the the in-depth positional breakdown that we've been doing uh to make some room for some other things on the show today um but what is your initial reaction of of the game and maybe some players that stuck out to you and and keep in mind we're going to do game balls here in a second to wrap up the game recap so don't don't give away any of your game balls we'll get to that Absolutely, Mike. First initial reaction for me um, when I look at the stat sheet is just uh, a complete game on both sides of the ball. And that's something that Michigan struggled with to this to up to this point, regardless if we're playing a mediocre team or an incredibly great team. You know, Michigan just has a style of play of of tiring out its opponent. That's no testament to how good or bad Michigan is. Uh, they're playing the first half, but they just uh, have lately had a different identity, and the and last last night or yesterday, if you will, they uh, they took care of business in both halves in a dominant style. Defensive side of the ball uh, was obviously the story of the game. 
both allowing under 75 uh, yards passing and rushing. So just an incredible effort from the defense, I thought. Yeah, de- uh, defensively and offensively, a really dominant performance. Uh, you know, we would have been in trouble, honestly, if this game was close because this is a Nebraska team that's not good. Uh, we knocked out their backup quarterback that started the game, so we're up against their third-string quarterback. And, and then on top of that, we knocked out their uh, their offensive coordinator, right? Like, that doesn't typically happen. And, and I'm not making light. Honestly, I felt terrible for that guy. Like, he was an older gentleman. I don't, I don't know his name, but um, their offensive coordinator went down on the sideline as well. So, so not only are they on their third-string quarterback, uh, that, that I think in the second half, I don't think their offensive coordinator was even on the field. So, yeah, if they would have been moving the ball on us and scoring on us, we, w- we probably would have been in trouble. So we did exactly what we should have done. We took care of business. Um, we might, I haven't looked at the numbers yet, but our, our defensive points per game, we might be number one in the country because coming into this week, it was Georgia and Illinois and we were third. Um, Georgia gave up 19, so I don't, I don't think that's going to, or maybe they gave up more than that. I got to check the final score. Um, Georgia's is going to go up. Illinois is probably out of there because they, they gave up a bunch of points. So we might be sitting on the number one defense in the country right now. Yeah, just, uh, incredibly impressive. You know, I didn't even realize how dominant it was until I looked at the final, uh, box score at the end of the game, but. It's crazy how defense works like that, right? You never notice if it's good or bad until the very end, and then you're kind of like, holy shit, we held them to 75 yards. Like, that's on both sides of the ball. That's crazy, you know? So uh, just a couple uh, bright spots on offense that I do have to mention. Game ball, not non-receivers, but still excellent uh, participants in this game. Colston Loveland, in the absence of Luke Schoonmaker, uh, was just incredible, right from the very get. You know, he got he reeled in about as many catches and yards as Scooney would normally get in a game. So that was awesome to see, including that uh, great effort to not go down. His ass cheek, unfortunately, just barely uh, grazed the grass. But I mean, that dude like really wanted those extra yardage, and uh, and he uh, certainly earned it. And then also Andrell Anthony. Finally getting in the end zone in hey. a fucking incredibly <laughs> weird uh, fashion, if you will. But I mean, I'll take it. I know Andrell will take it. Awesome job, Andrell. We uh, we see you. Yeah, as RG3 would say about that Colston Loveland play, his booty cheeks hit the ground. His McThickums. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, yeah, and we've been all waiting on Andrell Anthony to get in the end zone, and who would have thought it would be on a nice long Ronnie Bell reception that gets fumbled on the one inch line, and then probably hit the the out of bounds back line. Yeah, I mean, it was like really close, like maybe went out, but there was no camera angle to see it. Um, excellent effort by Andrell. So for a guy that has not been getting the touches that he wants. To, to stay engaged in the game and to make a play like that shows a lot about his character. Um, so that was really good to see. Uh, a couple of call-outs, just kind of more obvious call-outs. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, uh, not a great completion percentage performance, but uh, 
and he missed some guys down the field, but they also dropped some balls. I have a feeling we'll talk about that in some of our later segments a little bit. Um, but two two passing touchdowns technically because that that uh, Andrell recovery actually counts as a passing touchdown. I had to check the box score to even understand if that's what that was or not. Um, and then he got a, uh, a rushing TD as well. So uh, three touchdowns for JJ. And then Corum, Corum did what Corum does. He, he went for 162 yards and a touchdown. So um, overall, we saw a lot of the same uh, really from Michigan. It was, it was not, not a whole lot different other than Colston Loveland getting in the game. And then, and then CJ Stokes got uh, more yardage than we've seen him get. So all the way around, uh, dominant performance, a good performance. Uh, it's a uh, they are who we thought they were kind of performance from Michigan, and and I'll take it. We're ten and zero. All right, man. Uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, just a, a quick call out for me. Um, Junior Colson was you know his usual self with with strong tackling. Mason Graham's a beast. Right, I I I don't think there's any argument there. And then the guys that that stuck out to me that just have their swagger right now, they like on the defensive side of the ball, it just feels like they're doing what they want to do. Is is Mike Sainer still and and Will Johnson actually? Those guys are killing it. Yeah, absolutely. Will Johnson just always making a name for himself in every game with some type of uh, big play or moment that that gets the crowd going, you know. Um, no, no, didn't show up really on the stat sheet in any tackling categories, but normally that's what you want out of your good DBs. And uh, I think a strong case can be made to, to start that young guy right now. Um, but I mean, obviously, you've got a lot of experience in the backfield and you don't want to just ignorantly rush into that type of decision without giving him the chance to develop. But uh, it's been great to see Will Johnson out there doing his thing as a five-star athlete. Yeah, and I mean, Jamon was back um, and and played well. Uh, DJ got burned again, man, in the first half. I don't know. Did you notice that? Uh, That that first, like, long pass that Nebraska had, that was DJ Turner. He He got shook again. So I love DJ, but but man, like we're seeing we're seeing an awful lot of that. So I'm not sure what that's about. Absolutely, and that's certainly not the type of uh, of deep threat that you can allow against an Ohio State team in a couple weeks that prides themselves on putting some space between themselves and their opponent early with that deep ball. Right. Well, let's move on to our game balls segment. Um, we're each going to hand out three game balls for the game, and it's totally fine if we ha- give them to the same guy. You know, I'm sure that they would be happy to accept two game balls from us. Um, we'll we'll go one at a time. Let's pass it back and forth. I will let you do the honors of starting. Who is your first game ball for Michigan versus Nebraska? And my first game ball, Mike, in a typical boring Michigan fashion, I have to give it to Blake Corum. I mean, it being our first game ball ever, uh, it, I know it's a boring pick, um, but Blake Corum, he was just amazing as always. He's how we won the game. You know, you look back at it, at uh, at the game. Of course, there's the defensive effort. You can name a couple of defensive guys that certainly were, were valuable pieces to to uh, yesterday's effort 
But Blake Corum is just a beast. They ask the world of him. They basically ask him to go out there and offensively win the game every week. And, uh, and he does it. So my, my first game ball goes to him. Yeah, and you know he's getting closer and closer to guaranteeing an, an invite to New York for that Heisman ceremony. I, I don't think he's quite there yet, but if he puts up another you know, 150 plus a couple touchdowns against Illinois, um, Ohio, the Ohio State game might not even matter. He might get an invite regardless of how he plays in that game. And then, of course, he can win the damn thing in Columbus. Depending on how he plays in that game, he could win the Heisman. So excellent. Uh, game ball even though it was blatantly obvious and boring uh that you no argument from me there so my first game ball is in the same category i was thinking along the same lines of you we watched this vanilla game michigan's pounding it up the middle and and i'm thinking okay quorum's an obvious answer uh but then i started looking at the offensive line and i was like i'm I'm gonna give i'm gonna give a game ball to one of these guys like i gotta give a game you know you gotta give some love to the o-line and I was trying to pick like who, you know, who was the guy that I was going to give the ball to. And then I watched a play and I think it was, it was either a third down or a fourth down. It might've been that one fourth down we picked up, but Olu, he pulled and uh, he pulled to the right, opened up a gap and just got us the first down like it was nothing. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? We've been pounding it right up the middle all game. Uh, so Olu is going to get uh, my first game ball. Absolutely, and an excellent, excellent choice, obviously. And you can honestly make a case for, for him almost as much as uh, Blake Corum and anybody on that offensive line. So valuable to us every game, um, in and out. So excellent pick there. My second game ball uh, is going to go to Junior Colson. He was all over the place. Uh, six total tackles, I believe it was. Four of those being solo tackles. He also registered a sack early on again in this game, as well as a tackle for loss. So Junior Colson just all over the place everywhere. Um, he's literally a linchpin of this defense. I don't know what we would do without him. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the NFL thinks of Junior Colson, right? Just kind of as he slowly evolves at Michigan. I'm going to I'm interested to see where he ends up on draft boards down the line. Um excellent pick. No argument from me there. Who you uh, got? My set my second game ball goes to Mason Graham. Mason Graham is an absolute beast on the D-line. Uh for a true freshman to come in and do the things that he's done. In this game, you can see how comfortable he's getting on the defensive side of the ball. He's getting into the backfield. He got a sack. He got another couple of uh, really impressive tackles. And this really seemed to be a coming out party uh, for Mason Graham. So he gets my second game ball for the game. Absolutely. Excellent pick. If you didn't pick him as one of your game balls, I was going to honorable mention him just because he was such a beast last night. I mean, just... yeah. A physical specimen, always aggressive in getting to the quarterback. He just kind of flattens guys whenever mm-hmm. he's uh, he's blazing through there. So excellent pick. Um, my third game ball is going to go to Ronnie Bell, even though he dropped 
that uh, he dropped that pass on the one yard line. I mean, his ability to just run after the catch is just insane. The guy gets yards after he catches the balls from JJ. Obviously, Michigan doesn't do well in the deep pass, right? So we have to find other ways to come up with those chunk yardage plays. And if we didn't have Ronnie Bell, it would be impossible to do that because all of Ronnie, most of Ronnie Bell's catches or yardage comes after the catch. And there's very few guys on this team that can do that in the way that he does. So uh, he still got a touchdown, almost got a second touchdown, teed Andrell up for a touchdown. So honestly, I know Michigan Nation was just so hungry for the Andrell touchdown. So you guys can thank Ronnie Bell for that, too. Well, and it was impressive watching the game uh, when he slid. You know, the field is wet and he slid. And I thought, oh, he was out of bounds, right? Like, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking when I watch that play live and it looks like he fumbles it out of the back of the end zone. I'm like, maybe we want that to be out of bounds. Like, I'm not really sure. And then they go back and show and like, again, R- Ronnie Bell comes up with an amazing play. And I'm, I'm thinking this guy could really be an NFL receiver, which is something we didn't think a few years ago and uh he looks like i mean he makes spectacular plays every game so i love that pick um and in a true anticlimactic fashion my third game ball goes to Blake Corum i mean how can you not like how can you not pick Blake Corum uh you know how can you not give that guy a game ball and so he gets the double game ball you know he gets the the B- big house bleachers podcast stamp of approval uh, the dude's just amazing. He's our Heisman candidate. He's our guy. Uh, so he he got my third. He's our um, hutch on uh, on offense this year. That's right. That's right. And and uh, I'm gonna give an honorable mention here. Uh, I hope it's my same honorable mention because I was gonna give one too. So I'm hoping you're giving the same one. You go first. You go first, and then I'm gonna All go. Right. All right. So I have to give a shout out to CJ Stokes. Uh, Just incredible effort from him. Eight carries for 68 yards. Um, Donovan Edwards left the game, hopefully with just minor stuff, nothing major. Um, Well, I'm sure we'll touch on that later. But CJ Stokes just carried the second half of that ball game while we were trying to to give Blake some rest, you know, after he had already amassed 160 yards at halftime or whatever it was. And, uh, and CJ uh, came through, didn't fumble the ball, did an excellent job. That actually is not the same as my honorable mention, but I love it, right? Because it, I, I even uh, mentioned during the game, I was like, man, Donovan Edwards and CJ Stokes next year, um, or maybe maybe Corum comes back. We don't really like we don't really know what that looks like next year. But um, it looks like Michigan is retooling in a way they used to in the '90s when it was just like A Train, Chris Perry, Mike Car. You know, like we were just always retooling. So I love that pick. Uh, my honorable mention is based on one play, just one play. Mike Sandra still honorable mention game ball for not letting that dude hurdle him. And going straight up and jacking him in the nuts, like oh. right, like <laughs> I always think to myself, I'm like, is hurdling a guy easy or something? Because we're starting to see this over and over and over again. And I always think, why don't they just like explode up and just take the dude out? And usually, it's because a well timed hurdle is when somebody is like vertically diving, you know. Well, this Nebraska dude did not get his physics right because 
Mike Sanders still had his center of gravity. Try he this dude tried to 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 hurdle him, and Sanders still you know went straight up and destroyed him where the sun don't shine. So for, to me, that's an honorable mention to Mikey S. Excellent pick there. I mean, that was certainly the the moment that was on loop on the timeline on Twitter last night, right? I mean, yeah. just going up, uh, Mike Sanders still just launched that guy. And uh, I, I don't know who it was that ended up getting the tackle after that. But I mean, kudos to that guy for not wrecking that guy's career completely because he was in a very vulnerable position after uh, the captain launched him like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that you don't see every day. That's for damn sure. Um, All right, let's move on to what's the deal. Now, this gives us an opportunity to just ask, what's the deal? Like, what's going on? And this can be about Michigan. It can be about something else. It can be, you know, like whatever you want it to be about. Um, It's just an opportunity to, to ask the question, what's the deal? So, again, I'll let you tee it off first. What do you have for this week? So this week, I'll uh, I'll start it off with an obvious question that's on everybody's mind, and that's what's the deal with the deep ball, right? I mean, it, you who, at this point, we can't tell. Is it JJ that can't throw it? Is the wide receivers that can't catch it? I mean, what's collapsing here? Because we're just missing on these these big yardage plays and it's not even just to Andrell Anthony it's to Cornelius Johnson it's to it's to guys that we were hitting in the beginning of the season granted it was against cupcake competition but i mean we've uh, we've just got to find a way to get it together just a little bit enough to uh, take some of the load off of Blake Corum's shoulders and even Ronnie Bell to where we're not relying on uh, chunk yarded plays to either come out of those two guys, you know? Yeah. And this is proof that we don't compare notes before the show, because I have almost the exact same thing. I, you know, in my notes, it says Michigan receivers, like what is the deal? Um, you know, JJ has missed, missed some guys too, right? Like JJ's got a cannon. He's a pretty accurate passer, but, um, so JJ's not out of the equation here. Um, there's clearly a chemistry issue between JJ and his receivers downfield, but you know, I watch some other top tier teams play and I see guys going up, making spectacular grabs, getting to the ball, even when they're overthrown, underthrown. And man, we are not seeing that from Michigan's receivers. And it makes me nervous because if I'm a five-star wide receiver in high school right now, do I, do I want to go to Michigan? You know, and, and that, it makes me a little nervous. Now, now th- there's some athletes out there that are going to come to Michigan. It's always going to be an attractive place, but we don't want to become, you know, a, a place where receivers can't get numbers. And, and now this is two years in a row where receivers have been having trouble getting to the ball. So for me, it's like, what's the deal, Michigan uh, receivers? Hang on to the ball. Don't drop it. Go up. Make a play. And I'm just going to... Uh, throw it out there a little bit, Mike, because, I mean, Michigan, they've been throwing the ball around a little bit. You know what I mean? So it's really not even a testament. I know that, like, it's a, there's a lot of blame being thrown around on the offense and the offensive play calling and all of that. And there is a lot of vanilla-ness to this offensive play calling. But, I mean, the last few games, I mean, uh, J.J. threw 
I mean, he's 17 passes yesterday, but before that against Rutgers, 27 passes, 25, 24. It's not like we're not throwing the ball ever. You know what I mean? So the opportunities are there. I just think there's a a lack of connection um, or a lack of emphasis and practice on these these deep plays or something because we got to be farther along than this if we get in a situation where we've where we're down by like 10 14 points you know what i mean yeah and you know we would have thrown the ball 25 times yesterday too but uh matt weiss and sharon moore did what any logical person would do when that when it wasn't working and blake corum would get nine yards every carry they were like well well hell we, we got to win the game right so they just started handing it off to blake corum it was like you can hardly blame them for doing that uh, they clearly wanted to get the passing game going. That's why That's why they're throwing it downfield. They really want to get the passing game going. But it's just not there, and, and, and nobody can stop the run right now. So, you know, can we beat Ohio State with the run? Uh, it would be ridiculous to say no because we did it last year, right? Like, we literally did it last year. But I think we saw in the Georgia game that, you know, when you're going up against top-tier talent, you got to be balanced, and you got to be able to do – pretty much everything, right? If you're, if you're talking about a national championship. Um, so that is something that leaves, you know, it, it leaves a little bit to be desired, but we're nitpicking at this point, right? Like I'm not complaining about Michigan, you know, we're 10 and 0, we're great. But if we're going to nitpick anything, I, I think you and I both asked, what's the deal with the Michigan passing game? Um, all right, let's move on to uh, pump the brakes. <laughs> there's our uh, extremely high budget sound effects that we got for pump the brakes and so this segment is a little bit self-explanatory you and i are each going to bring a couple of takes to the other individual and if the uh person disagrees they're going to say pump the brakes and you might just hear or if they agree with the take we'll just keep driving um i tell you what I'll go ahead and lead this one off. Um, for me, my first, my first take here is, and I was thinking about this uh, really hard. UCLA messed up my first. I, I had a, I had a really good take about UCLA, and then they lost to Arizona, and I was like, okay, I was wrong about that. Um, so I switched it up. I believe that Penn State should be the highest ranked two-loss team in the nation. You're just going to get a big fat keep driving from me on that one, buddy, because I've uh, I've got a very similar mindset when it comes to something like that. I mean, their only two losses are to the top two and three teams in the country. Uh, they've dominated almost all of their other respective competition up to this point. So I don't really think you can make a case for ranking like an SEC uh two loss team over somebody like Penn State. Of course, that's not going to happen. But I mean, Penn State is just a, a very, very complete Big Ten team, not as complete as uh, as Michigan or OSU, but they've done an excellent job. So I'm just going to keep right on driving with you there, buddy. I've got one for you. And what? hang on, hang on, hang on. I just for our listeners, I'm sorry to interrupt, Matt. I, I just I have to defend that just a little bit in case there's anybody out there that is a an SEC homer or a fan or something. So you have the 
uh, SEC teams that are two losses right right now, which is now Ole Miss, LSU, Alabama, and then really the only other teams with two losses you could look at are now now in the Pac-12. Right, you've got Oregon and Utah and UCLA. Now the the Pac-12 ones they kind of they kind of take care of themselves. We don't even really have to address that, but. But with these SEC teams, if you're looking at resume, you you alluded to the fact that Penn State's two losses are to Michigan and Ohio State. They're both top three teams. And so if you look at the losses, Penn State absolutely has the best resume as far as two loss teams go. But then you then you have people saying, well, it's just the Big Ten, you know, they're they're eating up on inferior opponents. Well, well. Uh, they just beat Maryland 30 to nothing yesterday. And Maryland had a winning record, a strong team. And if we go all the way back to earlier in the year, Penn State destroyed Auburn. And I'm I'm not saying Auburn is like this amazing team this year. They're having a down year, but that's a mid-SEC team and Penn State destroyed them. So you look at the whole resume, um, Penn State should absolutely be the highest ranked two loss team. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, buddy. I ha- I had to get that out because it's just, I've just been fuming inside of me when I watch these SEC folks talk. But all right, what what you got for me? No, and by all means, absolutely. I mean, defend that Big Ten because there's a lot of people shitting on the Big Ten right now. I mean, you got to put some respect on the Big Ten's name. Historically, the Big Ten destroys these uh these sec and pac any other conference you know what i mean it's nothing even really personally against the sec the big 10 just may possibly have a better conference this year and you know that it'll it'll be decided uh come later in the season and i'm sure i might eat my words but who knows (laughs) maybe yeah the big 10 looks a little weak this year if i'm being honest but it's always interesting to see when when illinois and purdue go match up against, you know, like LSU or whoever, you know, whoever's going to be like, they, they all, they do surprisingly well in those it games. It always seems that way. Exactly. And then come bowl season, the, these big 10 teams that we always think weren't that good all year long end up pantsing all this, all these other guys, you know what I mean? So it's uh it's very interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see how it all shapes out, especially come bowl season. But I'm going to hit you with one that's kind of an untouched subject amongst Michigan fans. And uh, a lot of people might not like it. He's one of the most beloved guys on the team. But how good of a season is Mozzie Smith really having on the defensive line? And uh, I know... I know we chalk it up to um, a lot of like double teams and stuff like that, but... The guy doesn't get a lot of production. You know what I mean? Uh, he ranks in the bottom bottom 150 of, of his positioning in solo tackles, in sacks. Uh, he's constantly missing his opportunity to get to the quarterback when he does get one. So I'm not trying to stir the pot or anything, but with young guys like Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant on the interior that are just fucking animals you know what i mean just like at getting to the quarterback i'm just curious how good of a season um mozzie smith our our beloved captain has really happened i mean he's poised to finish the season pretty much the same as he did last year if you look at the stat comparison i'm going to hit you with a big fat pump the brakes because (laughs) 
I mean, it's it's blasphemy blasphemy to even ask that question. Uh, Mozzie Smith. Let me let me tell you. So Chris Jenkins and Mozzie Smith are the two guys that own the interior of that line. There are two interior starters that are responsible for stopping the run and getting interior pressure in the pass game. And let me ask you a question, Matt. When's the last time a running back got anywhere on the inside of that Michigan defense? It's fair. It it just hasn't happened, right? And so sometimes, sometimes when you're evaluating certain positions, the stat sheet doesn't tell the whole story. And so you you could look at Mozzie Smith's stats and say, well, he's not having a all-American season. He's not having even an all-conference season. But I I would beg to differ. What Michigan, what Michigan is doing on the interior of that line um is incredible. And Mozzie Smith owns 50% of that, at least, at least starting the game, right? Chris Jenkins and Mozzie own that. So uh, that's a pump the brakes for me. As much as I love Mason Graham and those other guys that are producing, um, I wouldn't touch a damn thing going on there. And uh, Mozzie has my full support. And I'm going to DM him after the show and tell him that you asked that question j- just so you have the number one freak in the country coming after you. I would honestly hope nonetheless because, uh, I mean, all, and of course, all love to all these Michigan team members you know what i mean we uh have nothing but respect for them it's just topics that that people float around that that uh catch my attention that i like to float out there so uh interesting to uh to evaluate but obviously still a great interior presence in stopping the run uh not a interior defensive line that pops on the stat sheet but still great all right moving on to my next pump the brakes take i'm gonna say that michigan will have their best passing game of the season against ohio state this year i'm gonna hit you with a pump the brakes on that one sir i mean it's just kind of something i feel like that we've been clamoring for uh the entirety of the whole season i think uh, and don't get me wrong, because I, I, we're of the same mindset that we're going to smoke those guys down south. But uh, I just, I think we're going to get it done in traditional Michigan fashion, grinding it out in the trenches. We're going to win it on the line, and um, and I just, uh, I, I don't see it. You know, there's still a lot of hiccups to work out with the offense, uh, with the connections and stuff like that. I'm not saying that it's impossible or improbable that we could come up with a big passing game because we've kind of done it in the past. I just don't see it against that team in that environment uh, but just a side note, I mean, Ohio State, um, obviously, prayers to all of the, their guys, but I mean, they're looking kind of banged up, a little bit dinged up right now. So obviously, uh, nobody wants a matchup where where anyone's kind of inhibited. But I was watching Mayan Williams went down, parted yeah. off the field yesterday, prayers to him, uh, a great athlete for that team, but um, I mean, what are what are your thoughts about that? Really quick on uh, on the matchup against Ohio State. Well, yeah, and and the 
two-part answer for me. So first, addressing the passing game situation. Um, I'm a big fan of evaluating teams the same way I evaluate people. And, and what I mean by that is once somebody shows you who they are, they're probably going to keep showing up that way. And so logically, I would think, you know, Michigan's just going to run the ball against Ohio State. They're not going to have a lot, of, a lot of great passes. But what we see occasionally are these outliers. And um, I'm, I'm kind of referencing Michigan State in 2021, right? We, we like identified something. We were exploiting a little bit of a matchup. Andrell got the ball a lot. And if you look at Cade McNamara's passing stats, through last year, that game just sticks out. It's like, oh, wow, there's this like big passing game right in the middle of the season. Well, I kind of think that, that it's going to happen again this year, and, and we're, getting, we're getting late, right? We've got two, two regular season games left. And so what I'm basically saying there is I'm, I'm, I'm just hanging on by a thread hoping that Ohio State is that game. Um, now, we lost that Michigan State game, so I don't, you know, I'm not trying to compare them in that way. But just from a passing game uh, standpoint, I think we're going to get some things going because they've shown some vulnerabilities. Um, now, to answer the second part of, of the comment you made, uh, you, that, you know, there's a lot of different types of shows and media and personalities out there, and people you know, approach rivalries a lot of different ways. I want to beat the shit out of Ohio State in every way possible, but I don't want college athletes to get hurt ever. I don't care who they play for, even if they play for Ohio State. And so to see a guy like that that's having an incredible season go down um, you know, you just feel for him. You want, you want him to be okay. Uh, you know, I, I would just as happily go up against a full strength Ohio state team and, and beat them, you know, that, so as far as the injuries go, you know, yeah, we, we hope they get better. Um, but we'll play who's, whoever they put on the field, we'll play. And that, and also that's just part of the game too. Right. And so with that being said, I don't want anybody to be hurt, but every, I mean, think about all the guys Michigan has hurt right now. Like every team is going to be banged up. Uh, we got to go out and play with the people that are on the field. And so I'll take whatever we get on that side of the ball and, and we'll go out there and play. Absolutely. And the same can go for Michigan. I mean, several guys obviously dinged up for them uh, last night as well. Uh, but that I I honestly uh, was curious about that as well. I mean, do you think that uh, that we're just kind of saving some of these guys, or or I mean, hopefully nothing is uh, is is serious, obviously. But Michigan always very uh, hush hush, not wanting to to discuss that. Rightfully so, it's their business. But um, hopefully nothing serious for those guys either. It feels like we are being especially cautious. And sitting guys that could potentially play, um, we saw Roman Wilson and Jamon Green get back on the field this game, which was encouraging. And then um, you got guys like Luke Schoonmaker that uh, he's dealing with kind of a rotator cuff thing, or at least that's what it appears to be. And those can kind of linger, but you can sometimes you can play with them. It depends on kind of the angle that you know that shoulder's hurting and everything. So um, I think what we're going to see is. We're going to throw everything at Ohio State. I think we're purposely keeping guys healthy for that. Honestly, I don't think you can hold guys out of that game, right? Like, like can you imagine going to one of these guys that, that has like a sprained ankle and saying, like, yeah, you can't play in Ohio State? I don't think so. Like, these guys are waiting all year to get in that game. And, that, and unless they're in concussion protocol or have like a broken leg, like, I, they're playing in that game. 
And shout out to Mike Morris last night. I mean, you saw how quickly that guy, I mean, it probably wasn't the right decision to just go jumping up like that, but that guy just bleeds uh, maize and blue. And you could tell in that moment, he wanted really nothing more to just show uh, all of Michigan Stadium and all of the fans like, hey, like, I'm going to be all right. You know, regard if I don't, I'm not sure if he is like all right or what the extent is of his injury or anything like that but that is a, a guy that deserves to play the rest of this season and uh and hopefully all prayers to, to him that it's nothing serious yeah we might not see him against illinois uh you know i i'm just throwing that out there we might we might not because in, in very uh tr- true form of the pattern that i just referenced um when guys have been banged up they've sat out a week right and with ohio state right around the corner I'm not saying we can easily beat Illinois either, but but you know we've we've got a lot of players. You know, it's kind of a next man up mentality, and so if he's able to play, I think he'll play. But there, you know, I'm just predicting right now that we might not see him against Illinois. Um, anyway, I think we're still in pump the brakes. Did you you, didn't, you haven't done two yet, have you? I mean, the, the the last one that I asked was kind of, I guess, a hybrid of uh, of if you think that Michigan is. Uh, it was really a question more that I just wanted to ask, but uh, I think I think we're we can move on to the next segment. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Um, let's take a look around the conference, man. Uh, so there were some teams that helped us a little bit in the Big Ten because at this point in the season, you're looking at resume, right? And and so you look at our teams helping or hurting. Um, Purdue went out and fucked us up real good because we we had a top 25 matchup with Illinois sitting on the books, which would have looked really nice heading into Columbus. Um, and Purdue beat Illinois uh, 31 to 24 in, in a you know pretty competitive game. And then uh, I, I don't know any any comments on on that one before we move on. I mean, I uh, you could see it coming from a mile away. Purdue, the giant killer. Um, I thought it was miraculous that they even um, that Illinois even remained in the top twenty-five uh, following their loss the week prior, just because it, it wasn't a it also wasn't a pretty loss to Michigan State. You know what I mean? And the committee hasn't shown a great propensity to rank Big Ten teams, so I wasn't expecting them to survive that loss so this loss completely screwed it up um i mean illinois will still look good because they're an above 500 team looks better than uh, some of our non-con opponents but you really wish they would have been able to uh to pull that out for us next week <laughs> yeah well that number that number next to the name makes all the difference uh, you know it, sh- it shouldn't right because a team a team that's you know the thirtieth best team in the country that should be taken into consideration, but it's really not. They they look at ranked versus unranked, which is why some of this SEC bias comes into play when you got a, lot, a bunch of ranked SEC teams. But so Illinois didn't help us. Um, the team that we needed to help us the most did, and that's Penn State. They beat Maryland uh, thirty to nothing. Uh, there's a chance they could sneak their way back into the top ten. Um, maybe not this week, but by the end of the regular season. And so if we're sitting there with, uh, and we've talked about this on the pod before, if we're sitting there with the top 10 win against Penn State, that, that, that might be the recipe for two Big Ten teams in the playoff, right? Penn, Penn State probably holds the key to that. If we, 
if we see a really competitive Michigan Ohio State game and it's and one team doesn't get blown out, uh, Penn State might be the key to Michigan and Ohio State getting in, as well as of course you're going to need some Pac-12 teams and TCU and you know some other things to to shake down. So uh, Penn State helped us out quite a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think uh, to add on to your point that um, a Penn State team that continues to not lose will greatly help that scenario. I've been kind of starting to put my foot in my mouth a little bit over the last 24 hours about the non two Big Ten teams getting into the playoff just because these competitors keep falling off. You know, Oregon lost uh, last night. They're going to be out of it. You know, the committee is going to be clamoring to try to throw usc in there um and you know i mean the committee is gonna gonna throw everything they can at trying to not let that happen with two big 10 teams but it is starting to seem more and more likely that uh that as these teams fall off you know um it looks like tennessee will will probably get in i think um, if they manage to blow out their next two two games in convincing fashion, they don't have a great remaining strength of schedule, and they're not probably not going to play for an SEC championship. So it's all just going to rely on uh, on the committee's SEC, usual SEC bias of ranking two teams, and if uh, if TCU and USC can manage to uh, to lose a game in the next couple weeks, I think. Yeah, you know. Uh- there could be madness, right? I, I, I think we always forget that the last two weeks of the season, along with uh, the championship games, there's a lot that can happen. Like, it feels like the writing's on the wall. We start to play things forward, and we're like, oh, you know, the teams kind of are where they are. You know, there could be a lot of movement. Um, there isn't every year, but sometimes there is, and so we'll see about that. Um Elsewhere in the conference, Ohio State dominated Indiana. No surprise there. Michigan State pulled off a win against Rutgers. That's kind of irrelevant. We played both of them. We beat both of them. They're they're both really bottom kind of bottom half of the conference teams. Iowa beat Wisconsin, and now all of a sudden, Iowa is looking a little bit more like a quality win. I'm not sure if the national landscape will even give us credit for that because they have such an atrocious offense but um i i was putting together a a reasonably good uh resume which if they went out from here you know they could potentially look like a quality win and then uh, minnesota blew out northwestern which is kind of irrelevant to us yeah, absolutely. And Michigan's, you see Michigan's schedule keeps getting stronger a little bit, or at least balancing out. You know, Maryland doesn't have the good uh, resume that it did a couple weeks ago, but I mean, you also have uh, have these other teams like Iowa that are kind of making a name for themselves, albeit we don't really know how, uh, how much weight a Big Ten West champion holds these days, right? But um Certainly Michigan's schedule looking a lot better than it did earlier on uh, in the year. Did you see who became bowl eligible? UConn is now bowl eligible. They just beat 8-1 and one Liberty um, to, Look at that. to uh, get their sixth win of the season. So now all of a sudden this incredibly easy non-conference schedule that Michigan played that, they, that everybody's been giving them hell about. 
Um, one of those teams sitting there is a, is a bowl team already, right? Could win seven or eight games this year. So, you know, I, I, I hope that the committee takes those things into consideration because where a team's ranked when you play them, is really is especially early in the year is is really less important than how that team ends up looking throughout the 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 whole year. And I knew that UConn team was you know with Jim Mora coaching them was a good team, and and uh, now they've proved it. They're they're a bowl team, so that that helps the resume. Around the country, Oregon falls to Washington, as you referenced. I think Michigan fans cheered uh, cheered at that one. That was nice. Um, Bama could have and maybe should have lost to Ole Miss, but they pull out another win. I was all ready to to say, see, I'm I'm such a bitter uh, guy when it comes to SEC. I was like, oh, Ole Miss is going to beat Bama, and then why don't you just put them in the top five, right? It seems to be the pattern, right? Somebody beats Bama, just throw them in the top five. But um, I didn't have to. I didn't have to get all bitter because Bama won that game, and I I was actually looking at who I wanted to win that game based on Michigan and. I didn't really know because like Bama losing is always good. But then again, Ole Miss is another, they were another one loss team that was just sitting there. And so it's kind of nice to get them their second loss because I think this year, especially, I don't think a two loss Bama jumps a one loss uh, loser of the Michigan Ohio State game. I don't think we have to worry about that. Um, So that happened. LSU looked unremarkable against Arkansas. Uh, they, you know, that, that's another one of those two lost teams. They didn't look great. They went up against Arkansas's backup QB and then, and then TCU, uh, won, they won in a way that they haven't won yet this season. It was a hard fought, low scoring defensive power football game. And the scoreboard of, you know, 17 to 10 over Texas doesn't look incredibly impressive, but I don't know if you watched any of that game. I did, and and it actually was impressive. They they were moving some bodies around and uh, playing some really good defense. They did. It was almost kind of uh, reminiscent of a Michigan game in some ways, a little bit. I mean, at least in the first half, somewhat. You know, it was very gritty and uh, grinded out style of of play. Points hard to come by. Uh, but yeah, kudos to them for getting it done in that Texas environment. You know, I, I, uh, predicted that last week, or I don't know if I predicted it, but I pumped the brakes on you or something about it, uh, (laughs) last week, but, uh, they got it done. And, uh, and I mean, I don't really like, love it now, given the situation of, of them threatening us in the playoff, but they're getting the job done and they're doing what they need to do. So if anything, hopefully they manage to keep, um a second sec team out of the playoff i'm still hoping that they lose to uh it'll probably be kansas state in the big 12 championship i'm still hoping somebody will come into the big and then baylor baylor's not a pushover either even though i think tcu will easily handle baylor there's a possibility they drop that one so um you know you mentioned the similarity to michigan games and and all day, you know, Michigan fans have been talking about the irritation of the downfield passing game with J.J. McCarthy. And then I watched Quinn Ewers at Texas. And, I mean, he couldn't – it was the second quarter. He still didn't have a completion. And they were trying to get him one. Then he finally got a completion, and it was to the other team. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I'll take – you know, I'll take J.J. He, he's he's uh, playing a hell of a lot better than that. And it just goes to show you that these five-star guys – 
they can struggle at this level. And sometimes the the chemistry between receivers and quarterbacks just isn't there for for a game and and for some teams for a whole season. So I, I was grateful to have JJ when I was watching that game. Absolutely. Make no mistake, JJ McCarthy, we are grateful to have you here in Ann Arbor. 100%. JJ is the guy. Um, looking ahead to Illinois, uh, we've got Illinois next week. Um, how are you feeling about that game? It's, it's a little bit, I wouldn't call it a trap game, but it's one of those games that if we beat, if we beat the hell out of them, I don't think we're going to get the credit we deserve. And if it's closer than expected, um, I think we're going to get a lot of criticism, even though Illinois is, has proven to be a really good team. So I don't know. What are you, what are you thinking about heading into uh, that Illinois game? Yeah, I mean, uh, checks, notes, Chase Brown. <laughs> That's basically all, like, really the only uh, real threat I think that they offer. Their, their quarterback, I believe, is, uh, is serviceable to... And then they're a feisty team, you know. They'll give Michigan, uh, I think, a similar challenge to the likes of, like, Rutgers and Maryland, possibly. It'll probably definitely be a game that Michigan has to win in the second half. You know, don't expect a, a rollover uh, Nebraska win that we experienced yesterday because, granted, Nebraska was missing several key pieces, including their play caller. Uh, so don't take too much stock into into this momentum. You know, don't slouch on Illinois are my thoughts because they can make you pay and we could end up in a stressful situation just like we did against those teams that I mentioned, Rutgers, Maryland, uh, people that gave us problems. Yeah, and I think I'm glad that we're playing a team that is a little bit better heading into Ohio State. You know, I don't want to have to grind it out too hard, but, it, you know, a Brett Bielema team, you know they're going to be hitting hard. They're going to be playing some defense. The running back's going to be running running the ball. You know, Chase Brown, as you referenced, is going to be running hard. Um, I think it just it just gets the team ready. It, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad it's not uh, Indiana or Northwestern because I feel like that there's such a – such a juxtaposition between that and then going going to Columbus uh, against Ohio State that it just feels like um, that's a good kind of warm up game and 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 you know it it could very easily turn into a battle that's hard to win so I'm I'm hoping we blow them out but I'll, I'll take any kind of W in that game. Amen, brother. Looking ahead to basketball. Um, We've got ourselves a, a nice little uh, basketball team. You know, we're ranked twenty uh, second in the nation, and we already got a, a, a really entertaining, competitive game. Uh, did you watch the Eastern Michigan game with Imani Bates? I did. You know, it was very interesting. Um, they hung in there, obviously, partially. I mean, majority, and due credit to Imani Bates's star power. Uh, that he brought to the table. Excellent first start for him. Um, but, you know, we, we did great. Uh, there were obviously some some flaws in the game that you can mention. Um, but I thought, for the most part, great team win early on in the season against a feisty opponent with, uh, with, a, with a good star. Yeah, you know, they had some great names on that team. It was like uh, Legend Jeter and like Noah Farrakhan and Imani Bates, you know, like, and and I was mad at all of them for the whole game because those, like, that little Farrakhan guy was, uh, if I, 
if there was one real concern Michigan has there, it's it's we were letting guy letting him dribble drive to the to the rack uh, every time, and so that's that's my defensive concern. The uh, the offensive concern really is the point guard play. We saw Doug McDaniel turn the ball over. Jalen Llewellyn looks like he's still getting warmed up, but you know, overall, I kind of tweeted out. Uh, uh, everybody's panicking saying we're just not very good this year. And I tweeted out uh, that I remember in 2017, we had a very similar game against VCU that we just barely pulled out. And, and I remember thinking to myself, ah, Michigan basketball is just not very good this year. And sure enough, that was the year that, that we played in the national championship game. Right. And so it's just a reminder to everybody, like we're still finding our groove. We'll, we'll find out a little bit more against Pitt um, coming up. Uh, this Wednesday and then we've got some you know really big games on the schedule so it's a little hard to to get into basketball mode with with football still going and so I think we'll wait to really take deep dives into the basketball team but it is fun to have you know Michigan basketball on Friday and then and then Michigan football on Saturday that's it, it's it's exciting when when we have this little overlap in November yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent, and uh, and I mean, shout out to Hunter Dickinson. That dude is like an NBA pl- player uh, ready. That is just on Michigan's basketball team, you know. So, I think uh, we're gonna have uh, a great season this year, and we're gonna have some great moments, and they're gonna wreak some havoc. So, we'll see what's in store for the basketball team. Yeah, with Hunter Dickinson, you know, he he scored thirty one in that game. Was a big reason we won the game, and. Uh, Shout out to uh, T. Will. You know, Terrence Williams was kind of my player of the game. He he does a lot of the dirty work and made his free throws and was controlling possessions, and, and that was good. But, uh, yeah, Dickinson, I think the ceiling for him this year, it, it genuinely is a national player of the year, right? Like, not even just first-team All-American. Uh, he has a ceiling of player of the year. And, and anytime you got a guy like that, you can win a lot of basketball games. So, um, looking forward to to watching those, um, and then I, I want to ra- wrap up the show today. I want to tell you a story. I've I've referenced this a few times to you offline, and um, I've wanted to tell you this for a couple weeks because it's just kind it's kind of cool. It's a personal story about about something that that I I did a couple weeks ago. Um, so anybody that's that follows me closely might know that my dad is the reason I'm I'm a really big Michigan fan. Um, I grew up, you know, like a lot of us do, right? Football is, it's really about family, you know, and, and we grow up rooting for the teams that our dads or our parents rooted for the schools they attended. And, and, you know, my dad raised me to be a hardcore fanatical Michigan fan. I've always hated Ohio state and Michigan state. And I just, I I remember so fondly, you know, the years of, of Charles Woodson and, all the way through Braylon Edwards and Mike Hart and, and 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 my dad and I shared that together and that was our bond and and last year my dad passed away unfortunately and and uh you know it it was and not to be a downer at the end of the show like you know it, it was a re- it was a really uh nice way that he went and and he lived a nice full life and and you know we're all really happy that at the way that it happened and so it's not re- it's not you know, not uh, a tragedy or anything like that. It just, it, you know, it is what it is. And so he passed away and, and, and last season's um, run, it was kind of cool because I felt like my dad was a part of it, right? Because he was like looking down on us and 
and we had this run and it was special and we beat Ohio State and and you know won the Big Ten for the first time in years and it, it, you know it was amazing and and we had my dad cremated and so I've had his ashes um, all you know all this time and I, I I attended the Michigan Michigan State game and uh, brought the ashes with me and and before the game my wife and I and my daughter, right? Another one of these full circle moments because my daughter's less than a year old and and uh, my dad never met her, uh, but knew that we were pregnant with her. And so now I got my daughter and my wife and we go up to the brand new, newly named Lloyd Carr Tunnel. Um, and and it's where my dad and I used to watch Lloyd. We, we, we literally used to go to the games before the game and we would watch Lloyd Carr and the team come in that tunnel. That was our routine. That was our tradition. So we, we went up to the tunnel and, and the, the, the lady that was, that was up there was nice enough to let us really walk like right up into the entrance. And we got, we got to check out the Lloyd Carr tunnel when I had my dad's ashes with, with us. And then uh, right after that, we, we found this nice little group of trees and anybody that's familiar with the big house might know there's a nice little group of trees right next to the tunnel. And we went over there and we spread my dad's ashes at the big house. And and me being the extreme person that I am, I saved a little bit and, and I, I kept them in my pocket during that Michigan-Michigan State game. And after the game, I went down to the field and put my dad in the, on the corner of the end zone at the big house. And so um, definitely not legal, I'm sure. I'm sure I was breaking some kind of law, right? <laughs> you know, we were like kind of ducking security and everything, but... Um, now forever for me, my dad is, is kind of in the, the, the corner and I, I like, I know where his spot is and, and he kind of like lives at the big house forever. So it's just, you know, a really cool, cool situation for me to be able to do that and, uh, to be able to honor my dad in that way. Absolutely, buddy. Just an excellent story. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing that with me and all the listeners. I'm sure your dad would uh, be pumped to know that he's forever down there on that field, you know, so awesome. And I tell you what, if, if uh, you know, ne- it won't be this year because we're in Columbus, but next year when we're playing Ohio State and we're in the big house, if a player like oddly, mysteriously like fumbles the ball going into that corner of the end zone, I'm going to share that with y'all. I'm going to be like, that was definitely my fucking dad, but you know, cause, cause he was a shit talking Buckeye hating kind of guy, a little force force fumble on your dad's, yeah. uh, on your dad's stats. Yeah, it'll there. happen. It'll happen. I won't put it past him, but anyway, thanks for letting me share that. And, and thank you again for a great week of the big house bleachers podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. You can follow me on Twitter at Wolverine Cron. That's short for Wolverine Chronicle. You can also uh, get at me at uh, wolverinechronicle.com. And Matt, uh, what about you? They can find me on Twitter at MazeCrusader or uh, on my website at MazeCrusader.com. And that does it for this week. We will be taking on Illinois, trying to go 11-0, and and we'll be back next week to talk about that. As always, go blue. Go blue.